Morning. Everybody awake out there? All right, good. All two of you. Hey, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be uh, parking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a while today. Uh, skipping around a little bit too, but you'll all, you're all going to need a Bible. Because we're not relying on overhead today. We're relying on the old methods. Flipping through your Bible. We're going to do some sword drills today. See if you can find the verse first. And I've got lollipops for the winners. No, just kidding. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I, had a, I often wake up early on Sunday to kind of uh, just put some finishing touches on things for my message. And as I woke up this morning, uh, earlier this morning, uh, normally it's, you know, I'm all, all alone downstairs and the house is quiet. But sure enough, Mallory, uh, my daughter, started to, to cry out uh, about an hour or two before she normally gets up. And she just was screaming and was beside herself. And I, I could hear downstairs in my office that she was upset. And so I started walking upstairs. But by the, by the time I had gotten there, Mommy had already gotten to Mallory's room. And so I kind of waited outside the door and Mommy was trying to uh, calm down Mallory. And all I could hear was, Dad, Dad. And I thought, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. So uh, sure enough, I come around the corner. I got this, honey. Don't worry. You know, I take the baby in my arms. I call her, sit down, and, and I, I, I kind of recite a, a book that I had, that I've, I, I've memorized all 12 pages of this book I read her every night called Goodnight Moon. And uh, you want me to recite it for you guys? No? Okay. I won't. I won't. Um, in the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. You guys know that story? It's a great story. Anyhow, so I'm reading her this book by memory and I'm calming her down. And sure enough, she settles down and I'm able to put her back in bed. And uh, I, had, I, had, I had come, I had finished, you know, preparations last night without an introduction. And uh, my daughter was my introduction this morning because it reminded me that... Uh, only Daddy could calm down Mally this morning. Only me. It was something that, that in, in so many ways, only I could do. Only I had that, that touch and that connection and, and that, that father-to-daughter moment that she needed precisely at that moment. And when I provided it to her, it gave her assurance. And friends, you who are parents, you know some of those connections that you have with your children. But beyond that, as, I, as we talk about spiritual gifts this morning, realize this. You are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely gifted by God. And He has given you a gift or two or three and He has given you that gift because He needs you to do precisely what you need to do in the church. He's given you a gift and what He expects you to do is to use that and to use it with such carefulness and precision such that when the church receives that gift, the church is soothed and benefited and put at peace. 
You see, the topic of these series of messages that we're in right now is on spiritual gifts. The title of the series is What's My Gift and How Can I Use It? And part two today is just kind of rounding out the spiritual gifts. We're going to look at the rest of them today. We looked at seven uh, last week and we're going to look at the next uh, 12 or so uh, this week. And the, the point of this study is not to just fill our brains with content. The point of this study is to take what we learn about spiritual gifts to find out how it is that the Holy Spirit has gifted you and to realize that when you exercise that gift, the church is soothed. The church is benefited. The church is edified, is strengthened, is put at rest, is made healthy. And just like Daddy calming down Mallory, so also when you do what you have been gifted to do, you will bring great benefit to the church. And the church needs you to do just that. So here we go. Uh, part two of the series, What's My Gift and How Can I Use It? Rounding out the spiritual gifts. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. But before we get there, I want to ask the question again, what is a spiritual gift? For those of you that weren't here last week, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, according to Nelson's uh, Bible dictionary, is special gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit upon Christians for the purpose of building up the church. Again, special gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit upon Christians for the purpose of building up the church. It's a very concise, very good definition. And we looked last week, too, about the purpose of spiritual gifts. I've listed five there just by way of, of recap. Number one is, is to benefit the whole church. Spiritual gifts is meant to serve fellow Christians. We're meant to, to use them to equip others for ministry, particularly those of us who have uh, more uh, speaking or leading gifts. It is to spur on everyone's maturity in the faith. And a fifth purpose is, of course, to bring glory to God, Peter writes. It's to bring glory to God. And now last week we studied uh, some seven spiritual gifts. And I've listed a chart there so that you can see how the Scriptures kind of lay out these gifts uh, in, in columns there. I omitted, by the way, the First Peter chapter 4 uh, column. And the only reason is, is because Peter's really talking about general categories than he is about specific gifts. But if you go through, you've got Romans 12. You've got uh, the first part of 1 Corinthians 12. And then the second part of 1 Corinthians 12. And then you've got Ephesians chapter 4 in those columns. And we went through last week Romans 12. We went through those seven that you see there on your outline. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership or leading, and mercy. Now, in truth, uh, those seven are about composed almost or a little over one third of what the New Testament would describe as charismata or gifts. There are actually some 19, give or take one or two, spiritual gifts in Scripture. And today we're going to consider the rest of those. Now, I do say give or take because there is a lot of there's a lot of disagreement over what constitutes a spiritual gift. Um, some people, they look at the New Testament and they find any and every um, uh, uh, mention of a benefit to the church and they label that a spiritual gift. So, for instance, later on in Romans 12, when Paul mentions be hospitable, 
they, they'll put that under the listing of spiritual gifts. Whereas I would probably look at that and say, no, Paul's gone on to talk more generally in, in general categories. So some people will add more gifts than what's listed here. Um, others will, uh, will maybe have a little bit less. But what I want to do is, is stick with what, um, what Paul and Peter have said are spiritual gifts. Now, they, th- those that they, they don't particularly note as a spiritual gift, I'm going to set aside for now. Though they may be of great benefit to the church. I think hospitality is a fantastic characteristic in a Christian. I don't think it's a spiritual gift. I think it's tied to the gift of ministry or the gift of service or, or, or help, helps perhaps. Um, but, it, but, so we, but we need to separate what is charismata according to Scripture and then what are some of the peripheral things that maybe come underneath those headings. So, what we're going to do is go through these next uh, 12 or so uh, spiritual gifts and in, a, in an average 45-minute message, that only allows for a few minutes per gift. So we're going to move rather rapidly, if you don't mind. And uh, over time, we'll be coming back to some of these gifts in time uh, as, as, as time permits and allow us to go more deeply into them. But first, I wanted to talk about the gift of apostle or apostleship. In 1 Corinthians 12, jump down to verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27. Paul writes this. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And we'll stop there. Of course, Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is that, look, there's a variety of gifts as we're learning. Not everyone has the same gift. And what Paul is trying to let us see here is somewhat of a structure or an order to the gifts. And he's trying to uh, emphasize the variety of gifts that are out there. And he mentions something first. He says the gift of apostle or the office of apostle or sometimes known as apostleship. Now, this gift and office is mentioned in two of the four major sections that you see on your chart there on your outline. It is considered the, the highest gift in, in Greek. It's the pro, it's the proton, the first. Paul mentions that first God has given apostles Now, later on in Ephesians, apostle is also given a a seemingly first importance because it's listed first in the Ephesians 4 passage. It was meant to be an equipping gift. If you go on to Ephesians 4, you'll read that, you know, that the Lord has given apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, what is what is an apostle? The word apostolos in Greek means messenger. Um, it was, uh, they, they were the, among the first ones to take the gospel to neighboring cities and towns. Apostles uh, were those that were, of course, mentioned uh, by Jesus among the twelve disciples. They were considered the twelve apostles. The apostle Paul 
was, of course, mentioned as an apostle. And, and the Apostle Paul and the Twelve were considered some of the first to go out and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so apostleship is, is very much tied in the New Testament to missionary activity. However, the word apostle is used very carefully in the New Testament. And in fact, were you to do a study of how many people uh, are listed as an apostle in the New Testament, uh, take a guess. How many people in the New Testament are called an apostle? Give me a number. Thirteen? Anybody else? No? Nobody's, on, nobody's venturing a guess here. Twenty? All right. Seventeen. Seventeen. Write down that number. Seventeen apostles listed in the New Testament. How do we know? Well, I'll give you some, uh, some scriptures that you can refer to. First, you have the twelve disciples. Okay? And now we'll kick out Judas and we'll add in Matthias. Alright? Acts chapter 1. So we have the twelve disciples uh, who are listed as apostles in the New Testament. That's twelve. We have the Apostle Paul. That's thirteen. We have, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, we have James, the brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was called an apostle. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, Silas and Timothy were noted among the apostles. And uh, if you look at that 1 Timothy 2, 6 passage, look back at who the author of that letter was in chapter 1, verse 1. And that will give you an indication that Paul is speaking there of himself, Silas, and Timothy as apostles. And finally, we have Barnabas, according to Acts chapter 14, verse 14. Barnabas, Acts chapter 14, verse 14. So that's the, the 12 disciples, that's 12. Apostle Paul, 13. James, 14. Silas and Timothy, 15, 16. And Barnabas makes 17. What's my point? Why am I, why am I counting all this up? My point is to say that the Scriptures were very careful with who they called an apostle. The New Testament was very reticent to affirm or affix that title, that gift, that office upon a person. And only 17 men in the New Testament were given uh, that description. Now, the addition of men like James, Silas, Timothy, and Barnabas to the list of apostles makes it possible, possible, that the gift was to be associated with missionary activity. However, the fact that only these select missionaries were called apostles makes this unlikely. If missionary was the only operative characteristic of an apostle, then why do the writers of the New Testament never mention uh, the word apostle when they're speaking about John Mark or Priscilla or Aquila? And there are many other missionaries that we could point to who were having such great and dramatic effect throughout Asia Minor and yet were not assigned that title. Why did Jesus not use the term apostle in Luke chapter 10 when he sent out 70 messengers to go throughout all of Judea and share the good news? Why did Jesus not use the term apostle for those 70? It is because, friends, it is a very restrictive and selective group. Surely it means more than simply missionary activity. And so here we see that the gift of apostle is more than being a missionary. It is a God-ordained office or gift. One that I believe was limited to a very select few. 
for the purpose of establishing the Christian church. The time of that office has passed. The time of that gift has passed. And now the church has been established. And so now we look to prophets and to teachers and to evangelists and to pastors to carry on the work of equipping the saints and helping the church come to maturity. Now, there are those who will disagree with that assessment of the gift of apostle. I have pastor friends who, um, who, would, who believe that the gift of apostle is, is very much alive and present today. Uh, I'm one who believes that that was a more restrictive and selective gift for the first century. But we can, you know, those, those are, um, you know, in, in, in essentials unity, in non-essentials charity, um, that's more of a non-essential. Uh, we can have harmony and understanding with other Christians who believe that the gift of apostle is for today if, if they understand that gift with its missionary implications. Um, I think we can have some commonality there. But I think it was stri- strictly for the first century. Let's move on to the second gift on your list there. Um, uh, actually listed as number four. Evangelism. Evangelism. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Just a few books over here. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes, And he himself, this is Christ, Christ gave some to be apostles. Okay, there's the first order of importance there. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we see first apostles, second prophets, which we spoke of last week, um, a gift that I do believe is operative uh, today in the sense that it is a bold and compelling word that is received uh, by the person uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a declaration from God to them. Someone who cuts right to the heart of the matter. An apostle, uh, a prophet, according to 1 Corinthians 14.3, is one who speaks words of edification, of comfort, of hope. It's not just one who foretells the future, but also speaks bold and compelling words in the present. Speaks on behalf of the Lord to others. I believe that. In, in that sense, in that essence, is an, is an operation today, though rare. And then thirdly, we have evangelism in the, in the book of Ephesians there. Prof, apostles, prophets, some evangelists. What's an evangelist? Well, we might think that we know precisely what this gift means. Uh, we, we, we hear the word evangelism and we have an immediate reaction to it. Uh, we, we think we know what it means. But of course, remember the purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice carefully Ephesians 4.12. Why are there evangelists? Well, according to Paul, according to Paul, there are evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, Paul restricts, uh, in, in this area here, he's restricting apostle, prophet, evangelism, uh, pastor, teacher, to those who minister to those in the church who equip the saints, who bring maturity in the church. So what would he mean by that? Uh, if this is the gift of evangelism, how could it be used within the church? You see, evangelism, friends, is simply one who preaches the good news. 
An evangelist is one who is disposed to sharing the Gospel over and over and over again. To clarifying the Gospel. I think When I think of an evangelist, I think of someone who is not just out on the street corners saying, uh, you know, repent right now. Instead, an evangelist is one who, helps, who enjoys helping others understand and explain the Gospel. An evangelist is one who earnestly desires that the Gospel be preached on all occasions and who is troubled when a sermon goes by or a Bible study goes by and salvation is not mentioned. An evangelist is one who, when meeting someone new, their thoughts and their concerns are frequently fixed on their spiritual condition. An evangelist is one who is disposed to sharing the Gospel, of course, with non-believers for sure, but also with fellow Christians, reminding them of the greatness of their salvation. When we think of the gift of evangelism, we should not simply think outside the church, we should also think inside the church. Who, who inside the church is the one who is constantly speaking of the greatness of our salvation? Who is the one who is constantly speaking about, my goodness, all that we have in Christ, can you believe it? Who's constantly speaking of the blessings of salvation? Who's constantly focused on what we're going to have on that last day? And who's predisposed to sharing it not only here in the church, but also as they go out and share it with others? That's an evangelist. An evangelist is one who the gospel is always on their mind, the gospel is always on their lips. It is for the equipping of the saints. They help clarify it. They help explain it. It is to edify the body of Christ. They, help, they remind the church, remember what we have. Remember what we have. And, they, and it's to spur on unity and maturity. But of course, an evangelist also goes out and witnesses to others and is predisposed to doing that. That is the gift of evangelism. Let's move on in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at The next gift, verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors. All right. Pastors and teachers. Now, some uh, based on a very uh, uh, complex Greek grammar rule, uh, some will put a hyphen between uh, pastors and teachers and make that one gift. I do not. I think they're actually separated there. Um, But again, that's open to some dispute. The gift of pastoring. Or in Greek, uh, poimen, which is shepherd. I mean, literally the word there. You should write the word shepherd because that's the Greek word. It's, it's not, it's, uh, if you were to translate that literally, in fact, most, almost all of the translations of this uh, word in Greek translate as shepherd. Here, of course, a pastor is also a very appropriate title. What is a pastor? Well, we get the roots of this gift from Jesus' conversations in the Gospel of John. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Himself uh, as the Good Shepherd. And He says, My sheep, they, they hear My voice and they know Me. And they follow Me. And He goes on to say, I, I lay down My life for the sheep. I'll do anything for the sheep, Jesus says. And He's referred to as the Good Shepherd. Peter refers to Him as uh, the, the Great Shepherd. And many other times in the New Testament. Well, what is a shepherd then, a poimen? A shepherd is one who feels a call from God to be the spiritual leader of a group of Christians. A pastor, those with the gift of pastor is one who loves to meet 
fellow believers and help them in their spiritual journey. A pastor is one who feels responsible to help protect weak Christians. Help, help protect them from dangerous influences, from temptations, from a bad decision. A pastor is one who will step in the gap and draw attention to the danger. Draw attention to the sheep and, and, and say, you, you, you've got to watch this. A pastor is one who others are drawn to uh, to find maturity in their relationship with God. A pastor is one who would do anything to defend a fellow believer and who is deeply pained whenever a Christian falls away from the faith. So a pastor is one who empathizes with uh, his sheep. Let me make it very clear. The gift of poimen or pastor is not limited to those who stand at a pulpit. Not at all. Men and women can have this gift of pastor. Those who have a shepherding heart, particularly those women who, as the Scriptures say, uh, you know, uh, the Scriptures are very clear that a woman is not to teach over a man, but there are many, many, many instances in which the older women are called to instruct the younger women. Those who are disposed to doing that may likely have the gift of pastor. They want to be responsible. They want to be helpful in bringing about the maturity of their uh, fellow sister in Christ. And so, if any of you have a desire on your heart to shepherd and oversee the spiritual maturity and development of others, you may have the gift of pastor. And I'll tell you, it can be used. You don't need to stand from a pulpit to use it. It can be used in the church, both men and women. It can be used in a variety of ways. Perhaps as a small group leader. We'll get, we'll get to other ways in which these gifts can be used next week. Uh, but for now, we're going more along the definitions of this. Okay, so we have uh, pastor. Number, uh, as we continue down the list there, the final one in Ephesians 4 is teachers, and we've covered that. So we're going to continue on uh, to, a next, to another section. Turn back, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Beginning in verse 7. Now we're moving from the first five, which are equipping gifts, and now we're moving on. Uh, we're, we're, we're passing down number six, which is ministry, which we've already covered, exhortation, giving, uh, and leadership and mercy. And we're coming down to some new, a new set of gifts. We're going to start actually a little bit down the road, a little bit at, at, at wisdom there. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Okay, jumping back to verse 7 there. The man, we have the manifestation of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to each one for the benefit or the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now that word wisdom there is the Greek word sophia uh, for wisdom, uh, from, from which we get uh, philosophy, sophia. Um, now, this is a very peculiar uh, gift and one that has a variety of interpretations. 
Uh, I'm sure that uh, some of you um, have considered this gift and considered the, the, the definition of it and have gotten a variety of interpretations. Uh, it's difficult to interpret because Paul really doesn't go on to explain it at all. Um, there's only a couple instances in which this gift is listed in the New Testament. Actually, this one instance. And in this one instance, Paul simply says, for to to one person is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. So whatever we're going to say about this gift needs to almost utterly be restricted to that phrase, which, which gives us a little bit, but not a lot. A couple things we can make note of in this gift. Number one, It's a logos gift. It's a word gift. It's a speaking gift. Paul says it's the word of wisdom. It is something that is spoken, something that is given out, something that is verbal. And it is something that is verbal and is wise, something that is uh, carefully understood and expressed, something that is deliberated upon and given at a timely moment. When we think of the word of wisdom, we might be wise to say that it is often those who experience God's clear leading or direction when important decisions are to be made. Are you a person who, when an important decision is in front of you, you, by the Holy Spirit, are given assurance of the direction that you're to take or the direction that you're to tell another that this is probably the right path for you? you may have the word of wisdom. Are you a person who, when another person has a problem, you are frequently uh, sought out to give good counsel, to offer good biblical solutions on where to go, what to do, how to conduct ourselves? Are you someone who feels that uh, you have a special insight in determining which alternatives to take? Are you someone who, when people have uh, spiritual problems, they they seek you out. They're looking for your wisdom. They're looking for that word of advice from you to them to help them know what path to take. This, friends, as, as best as we can surmise, is the word of wisdom. It's one who is careful in God's word, who understands God's ways, and who can speak that to others. It's a speaking gift. But it's also one that uh, the person has great deliberation and assurance in what God would have them say or do. That, there's the word of wisdom. Now we move on in the same verse, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 8. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now we come to knowledge. And, and again, this is the only instance in the New Testament where this gift is listed. And so whatever we're going to say about this gift, it pretty much needs to be restricted to that little phrase that, uh, that Paul doesn't give us a lot of indication of what it means. But again, we have a couple uh, suggestions as to what it means. Number one, it's the logos. It's the word of knowledge. Here again, we're, speaking, uh, we're, we're talking about a speaking kind of gift. And what about knowledge? Uh, Gnosis in Greek. Knowledge or understanding. um, The ability to uh, understand something. Uh, Perhaps we can say that the word of knowledge is, is a gift given to a person who is often able to understand difficult portions of God's Word. They're able to, to read a difficult part of God's Word and to understand it. And so as I, as I with difficulty explain this gift, 
If you have it, uh, you automatically know what it means. Okay, you're, you're with me, right? Hang in there, guys. Others indicate, if you have this gift, others may indicate to you that they benefit greatly whenever you share your insights with them. Whenever you share your insights on Scripture or on, on God's truth. Perhaps God often teaches you unique and often overlooked truth whenever you read His Word. Perhaps God has given you words to say in witnessing situations that surprised you, that caught you off guard. Um, in speaking with uh, some of the other pastor friends I have, uh, some, some suggest that the word of knowledge is a gift that is at times given uh, you know, uh, on occasion spontaneously to Christians. I'm not sure that I agree with that, but I had an experience in Haiti uh, in which a pastor identified it as a word of knowledge, and I'll just share it with you and, uh, and let you uh, judge. Um, I was preparing a message in Haiti, and I was speaking to Pastor Pierre's church, and we were, uh, the, whole, the whole night before, I had my text, I had everything that I wanted to say, and all that was left, again, like this morning, was an introduction. And I felt so unsettled about the introduction that I had prepared. It just wasn't right. It, it, Something didn't, didn't ring true about it. I knew that it wasn't going to connect with my audience. And sure enough, on the, the ride from the hotel to the church, about a 45-minute drive, um, along the road, I started looking to the side and I, I started to see these, these tap-taps or these taxis in Haiti. And it, it, for those of you that have been to Haiti, you know, you know those tap-taps. And for those of you that have seen pictures, I mean, when these tap-taps, when they stop, okay, they're, they're basically a, a pickup truck with, a, with a, the, a, a cover on top, okay? And loads of people jump in the back. You know, they, they fit 10 to 12, 14 people in the back of a pickup, and it's a taxi. And whenever one of these things stop at the side of the road, you see people just pushing and shoving and kicking to get on this thing. And, uh, and I was talking about greatness in the kingdom from Matthew chapter 18. And the first will be last, and the last will be first. And so I, I, as I was driving, I, I was like, Lord, thank you. That is a perfect illustration. I'm going to use that tap-tap illustration. Sure enough, when, uh, when I preached that morning in Haiti, um, when I began with that illustration, the entire audience started laughing and started identifying. And they, they, they heard what I said and they just immediately connected to the message that I was going to share that day. And I was like, thank you, Lord. That was, that was perfect. That's exactly what I needed. Well, lo and behold, after the experience, I talked to one of my pastor friends who was there, and he pointed out, and he says, Neil, that was a word of knowledge. And I said, okay, you know, explain this a little bit. He said, it was a, it was a word from God to others that was precisely what they needed to hear at that moment in time. It was something that you had not pre prepared for, you had not planned for, but that God gave you at the, just the right time that word to give to others that would connect with them, that would resonate with them, that would be just perfect as they entered into the Scriptures and learned more of God's truth. Now, my response to that is, well, the word of knowledge you know, as a gift should be something that's uh, a little bit more permanent, a little bit more ongoing than that. So that would be my response. But nevertheless, I want to show you how others, uh, particularly those uh, from a more charismatic orientation, how some of them understand that gift versus how we might understand it. All that is to say, if you frequently find, when you speak to others, Christians or none, you are given words to say that are outside of what you have prepared, 
outside of what you are able to think in your own mind and they minister to another in a great and mighty way, you may have a word of knowledge gift. That's the word of knowledge. Let's move on to number uh, another gift here. Faith. Be, uh, continuing on, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, we need to contrast this gift to justifying faith. What we are not saying here is that this gift of faith is only given to some uh, uh, or, or is the faith that justifies or the faith that saves a person. That's not the case. In fact, I would argue that the New Testament never describes faith, justifying faith, as a gift, but rather eternal life is the gift. Um, but nevertheless, here we have something that's different than justifying faith. We have a believe, a, a, a kind of a trusting kind of faith. We have, in contrast to justifying faith, we have a foreshadowing of this gift uh, that we see in the New Testament when Jesus interacts with the centurion. You may recall the story in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion, his servant, is lying sick and ill. And he, he, he desperately wants his servant to be healed. And so he runs off and he finds Jesus and he says, Jesus, Jesus, you, 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 I really would love for you to heal my servant. He's far away right now. Would you, would you please heal him of his affliction, of his disease? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll find him. And the centurion stops Jesus and says, no, 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 no. I know that you can just say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus turns to the man and says, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Such great faith in all of Israel. What's the point there? Well, that was a foreshadowing of the spiritual gift of faith. It is a person who looks at the Lord and says, I know you can do it, God. I know you can do it. I trust you. I believe that you will do it. A person who is totally convinced that God will fulfill His Word even if it's not happening right now. A person who can believe God for the impossible and has see, have seen it happen in tangible ways. A person with the gift of faith is one who holds fast to their belief in God, even in the presence of ridicule from others or even apparent failure. A person who, uh, who hopes in God against all odds a person who's ready to try the impossible because they have great faith that the Lord will provide. A person with a gift of faith is one who utterly and completely trusts the Lord to do what He says. Um, I think this is a fantastic gift. Uh, I think it's a gift uh, that my wife has, as a matter of fact. And I love seeing it operative in her. My wife trusts things will happen that is far beyond my faith and trust. And it is inspiring to me. It's inspiring to the church. Those of you with the gift of faith, it is inspiring to the church to see that gift in action. To see you trusting utterly and completely that God will make good on His promises and, and, and will even do sometimes the impossible in our eyes. Okay, so for now... We're going to skip over a couple gifts in that 1 Corinthians passage that we're at. And we're going to jump down to verse 9. Excuse me. Uh, verse 9. Uh, we're going to skip over uh, healing and working in miracles and prophecy, which we've already covered. And go down to the middle of verse 10. To another, discerning of spirits. 
Discerning of spirits. The ability to uh, discriminate is that word to, to discern in, uh, in Greek. Uh, we should think chiefly of passages like, and write this down, write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. In that, uh, in that passage, Paul writes, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. Diacrino. Judge. Diacrino is the verb, the verbal form of this gift. The gift in Greek is diacrisis. Diacrisis. To discern. Diacrisis. And the verbal form, uh, the verbal form diacrino, later on in 1 Corinthians 14, is with reference to when someone speaks, when someone's preaching, when someone's declaring what God is saying, the one with the gift of discernment is one who judges and evaluates carefully. Who listens, to what is, who listens to what is said and who can evaluate immediately whether what is said is from God or not from the Lord. A person with the gift of discernment of spirits is one who does not despise prophecies, according to 1 Corinthians 5.20, but tests all things, holding fast to what is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 A person with this gift is one who the Spirit of, of God often gives instinctual ability to know who or what is good or evil. A person who is quickly able to pick up on any errant or misleading statements by teachers of God. By teachers of God's Word. And who is also able to know whether that teacher made the mistake unwittingly or on purpose. Now let me say that again. A person with the gift of discernment of spirits is able almost immediately to pick up on errant and misleading teaching from a pulpit or from a Bible study and who not only can pick it up, but who can also assess whether or not that teacher made that mistake unwittingly or unknowingly, harmlessly, or on purpose. That they're intentionally trying to deceive that is the gift of discernment. And it is a powerful gift. It is one that uh, is desperately needed in the church. It is a person who can quickly identify also when someone is discouraged. They can look and they can assess emotions. They can assess how another is feeling and know how to respond. Those who are troubled often come to them for advice because they have great discernment, sometimes great wisdom. The gift of discernment of spirits and the word of wisdom often are tied together. Perhaps also the gift of exhortation. There you have the gift of discernment of spirits. Let's go down, skipping, uh, skipping tongues and interpretation for just a moment. Let's jump down again to verse 28 of chapter 12. Verse 28. We've seen this before. We're going to read it again. God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing. Now helps administrations and variety of tongues. Let's deal with helps and administrations briefly and then we'll get to the final four. Helps. Different, I would argue, than the gift of ministry mentioned in Romans chapter 12 or the gift of service mentioned in Romans chapter 12. The, the gift of ministry or service is uh, diakoinion dia in Greek and it's more in reference to a service that is um, 
service that is performed, but also perhaps in a leading role. In other words, they're one who serves the, the, the deacons who are called the, uh, 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 diakonos or, or deacons or, or servants. Okay, So a servant can also be like a leading servant, one who initiates and carries out the work of serving others, ministering to others, um, uh, leading, a, leading a luncheon, leading a, some sort of a service that, that provides for the needs of others and, and actively uh, participating in that. That's the gift of ministry or service. By contrast, the gift of helps, I would argue, which is a different Greek word, is the ability to help or to, or to come alongside the ones who are the ministers or the servants. The word help, um, the verbal form of this word helper is used by Paul to refer to servants of masters in, uh, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. And in there, Paul says, servants continue to serve your master and you know, continue to help your master. And uh, so it's, it's mentioned as, as uh, one who comes underneath or alongside the one who is already serving. A helper is one who appreciates and who likes to be very much behind the scenes, serving without notice, who enjoys being the assistant of the one already serving in ministry or already ministering. They like to be the assistant. They don't want to be the go-to person in service, but they want to be the assistant. They want to come alongside in a supporting role. This is a person who takes pleasure in doing simple, routine tasks that help carry out a greater ministry effort. And helpers are incredibly needed in the church. Incredibly valuable. Finally, uh, for, before we get to these last four uh, sign gifts, we have the gift of administration. And I am going to say, in my humble estimation, that this gift that you see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 28, administrations, um, really should be equivalent to leadership that you see in, in Romans chapter 12. I don't see a difference here in the, in the Greek uh, understanding of these two words. They're different words, but the word for administration in, uh, in Greek is proistemi. Uh, uh, Proistemi, and it means literally a ship captain or a navigator, one who sets the course. And so the word administrations in your Bibles there, in my opinion, is not a great translation there. It is a shipmaster. It's one who sets a course, who sets vision, who sets uh, a direction for the church, who sets a direction for a group of people who are serving the Lord. And so I would argue that the gift of administration here should be likened and equivalent to the gift of leadership that we see earlier in Romans chapter 12. Now, a few more minutes. And uh, forgive me for going rapid fire, but I did want to cover all of them today. And we will continue to go into detail in, in later uh, Sundays. Four gifts that we've left. Four gifts that, we'd le- that we've left over. Uh, you'll, see, you'll see them in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 9. We've already covered faith to another faith by the same spirit to another. Here we go. Gifts of healing by the same spirit to another. The working of miracles. Okay, and then continuing on to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits covered those to another different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. You'll see each of those four also listed at the end of first Corinthians chapter 12. 
Now for the easy part, right guys? What's interesting about these gifts is that they're really easy to uh, test for. You know, you're taking that spiritual gifts test and you come across the question that says, have you healed anybody today? You kind of go, okay, no. (laughs) They're really easy to test for. These are called, these are really self-evident gifts, okay, in so many ways. Uh, Self-evident gifts. One of the things I appreciate about some of the assessments, I've been going through assessment after assessment after assessment, trying to find the perfect one for Coast Bible Church, and I think I found it. Um, But as I'm going through these assessments, one of the things I appreciate about some of these is that those who, who list these gifts but who, who don't test for it because the, the, response, the, the, the response of those who are offering an assessment test is to say, look, these four, healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation, these four are, are very much self-evident. If a person is to have these gifts, and we can discuss uh, their, their presence or lack thereof today, but if a person is to have this gift, it is to be readily apparent. It's not something you need to test for. It's something that you're going to know instinctually uh, as, a, as a believer that you have been gifted by the Lord in one of these or maybe more of these uh, four sign gifts. And the question, of course, on many of our hearts is, are these gifts for today? Um, that's the question of many Christians. Uh, certainly, it's, it's a question that I've wrestled with for uh, many years and will continue to wrestle with till the day I die. I, I, I draw your attention to a series of messages uh, we did uh, over a year ago on dreams and visions in the book of Acts chapter 2 and different parts of, uh, of Joel uh, chapter 2. In those series of messages, I believe back in December of 2009, uh, I made the point there that in the book of Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter mentions things that are yet to come that have not happened. And he mentions a variety of signs, a variety of activities by men and by women that will blow our minds. And so in the spirit of unfulfilled prophecy in Acts 2, I think we can say with a good degree of assurance that the signs that we see unfulfilled in Acts 2 and from Joel 2 are yet to come. And if they're yet to come, than to throw aside healings, miracles, tongues, and interpretation as something that's gone from the first century, I think would be imprudent. I don't think it would be wise. Nevertheless, as we approach these four sign gifts, the first thing that we need to keep in our hearts is to say, look, test them. Test them. Test them. Test them. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 20 and 21. Write that down. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 20 and 21. Paul mentions there not to despise prophecies, but to test them, holding fast to what is good and getting rid of the rest. Now, he's referring there to prophecy, but I think the implications can be applied to all of these gifts, to healings, to miracles, to tongues, speaking in it, to interpretation of tongues. Paul's admonishment to us would be to test them. See if, in fact they are in accordance with Scripture. Now, it is true, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8-10, through 10, that one day prophecies will cease. One day knowledge will cease. One day tongues will cease when that which is perfect has come. But the problem is, that day hasn't come yet. Because that, the, the, the phrase there, when that which is perfect has come, it can't refer to Jesus' first coming. Because if it did, 
then the sign gifts would not have been operative during Paul's day. It's unlikely that that which is perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 through 10 is the, is the closing of Scripture. That's exceedingly unlikely. And what is likely here is that that which is perfect, when that which is perfect has come, all these things will cease, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Period. He is that which is perfect in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It refers to the second coming of Christ. Therefore, until that day comes, it is not appropriate. I, I say this strongly. It is not appropriate to speak of any spiritual gifts, save apostle, including the sign gifts. It is not appropriate to say they've ceased. In fact, though Paul gives numerous parameters as to how the gifts of tongues are to be used, he concludes with a discussion that is astounding. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and look at the very last couple verses here. 1 Corinthians 14. This is how Paul concludes his discussion of tongues, beginning in verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and what? Do not forbid to speak with tongues. I cannot in good conscience, as a student of God's Word, set aside that passage, set aside that prohibition, and say, well, tongues are no longer for today. There is no indication, as I review all the Scripture, there is no indication that tongues have ceased. There may be indications that they've diminished in part. Um, this, the Scriptures bear that out. Tongues are mentioned so much in 1 Corinthians. Well, when was 1 Corinthians written? Around 50 A.D. All the other letters never mention tongues. They're all written later. And so you could make the argument that tongues have, have, have diminished in scope. Maybe. Maybe you could make that argument. But there's no Scripture that is definitive that the sign gifts have ceased. Not one. Moreover, Paul gives me and you instructions in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. Do not forbid others to speak with tongues. That's pretty astounding. Now, before uh, one of you pops up and starts speaking in tongues, let's put some parameters in place. What would we do? Uh, here we are in a church that uh, I don't believe anyone in this church has ever stood up and spoken in tongues, at least not while I've been here. I've been here since uh, 2002. So in the nine years that I've been at Coast, I've not seen anyone uh, stand up and speak in tongues during a service. Um, what would we do? As a church, if uh, someone were, uh, if someone in our body believed themselves to have this gift and uh, believed it appropriate to uh, to use this gift uh, for the edification of the body, well, there's some parameters that we would do. Number one, we would follow to a T First Corinthians 14. And if you want to learn more about tongues, First Corinthians 14 is your chapter. Go home and read it, study it. First Corinthians 14 gives step by step by step instructions on how the gift of tongues is to be used for the edification of the body. Number one, if, I were, if someone in this body were to stand up and were to speak in tongues, the, the first thing that I would do as a pastor is I would 
explain to all of us what was supposedly happening. I would say, hey, this person right here is, is beginning to speak in tongues. And we're going to wait until uh, they've completed. And then we're going to ask for an interpretation. And when they, when they were finished, they'd uh, maybe have a seat. And I would ask as a pastor, is there an interpretation of that tongue? And if someone stood up with the gift of interpretation and was able by the Holy Spirit of God to understand what that person had said in that tongue and was able to interpret it, then they would rise up and they would interpret it. And after that interpretation, I as a pastor would ask the whole church, the whole church, to judge the content of what was said. We would ask, is that in accordance with Scripture? Is that in accordance with the faith? Is what was said in accordance with the Word of God, with our beliefs? And if, if the answer from the body, if the answer from those who had the gift of discernment and the elders and, and those with, 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 uh, with gifts of wisdom, when the reply back to me was, yeah, this is something that, that is in accordance with Scripture, that accords with God's Word, then I would say to all of us that we would accept that as a unique and compelling Word of God to us today. That the Lord has given us a special exhortation, a special, perhaps, word of wisdom for us to meditate on today that is in accordance with our faith, that is in accordance with the Scripture. And it would be something that was unique and, and perhaps compelling for us to dwell on. If the church responded and said no, we don't accept that. No, we don't believe that that's in accordance with Scripture. No, we don't recognize the content of those words as being in keeping with God's Word, then I would gently admonish the one who spoke in a tongue to refrain from doing so again until I and the elders had spoken with them. And uh, I, I want to emphasize gently admonish. It would not be uh, you know, a harsh rebuke. Um, the, a harsh rebuke would come if the person was just out of order and was continuing to do something like that, uh, overstepping their bounds. So if there was a tongue, we would ask for interpretation. If there was an interpretation, we would ask for the audience, the congregation, to judge that, that interpretation, to judge the content of those words. If it was agreeable to the word, we would accept it. If it wasn't agreeable, we would ask that person to refrain. Now, what if the person stood up and spoke in a tongue and no one was around to interpret it? I asked for interpretation and no one was there to interpret it. Here again, I would likewise gently admonish that person to refrain from speaking again at this time until I and the elders had a chance to speak with them. You say, well, Neil, this is, this is really weird, man. I don't know what you're talking about. And I hope this doesn't happen here. Hey, folks, guess what? 1 Corinthians 14. Everything that I've just said is in accordance with the code of conduct for the gift of tongues. We're going to follow it to a T. We're a church that believes in the Bible. Coast Bible Church. And if the gift of tongues is in our midst, then who am I to forbid the speaking of tongues? According to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. If the, if the gift of tongues is ever in our midst, we will follow this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, to a T. And we will honor the Lord as we do it. 
And it will be uncomfortable for some of you. And it will be awkward for some of you. And some of you might feel like, well, this is, this is you know, not, not for me. But I challenge your... I challenge your preconceptions. I challenge your, uh, your box. I challenge the lens through which you are viewing Scripture if you have a problem with that. Because the Bible tells you do not forbid to speak with tongues. And so whereas you may be uncomfortable with it, Whereas it may not be a place where you want to go into a church setting where it's happening all the time, and I might agree. Um, that uncomfortableness needs to be challenged by 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Let that be a challenge uh, to you. So that's it. 19 gifts, apostle, prophecy, teaching, evangelism, pastoring, ministry, exhortation, Giving, leadership, mercy, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, and helps. All 19 that we have covered that I believe are charismatic in the New Testament. What do we do now? Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start meditating on these gifts. Start thinking about these. Start reading these passages. Start praying and, and saying, Lord, what, what, how is it that you've gifted me? How is it that you're using me? that you can use me to edify the body of Christ. And as we come back next week, we are going to start really digging into what your gift is. And there's a, there's a chance that I'll be sending something home this week uh, via email or mail. And if you get that in the mail, just go ahead and start filling that out. If not, wait till Sunday and that'll be fine. Um, but you're going to know by next week, you are going to begin to know what your gift is or gifts are and how precisely you can use them in the body of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for uh, this morning and just the, the teaching of Your Word. God, we, we love to, to just get practical and get down to earth about how, how it is we're supposed to live and breathe and operate in this church. God, I know that You've gifted us I know You've gifted every single Christian. All those who have believed in Jesus Christ have received the Holy Spirit, have been, have been indwelt by Him. And from Jesus, through the Holy Spirit to us, we have been given a gift. God, I pray that You would help us to identify that gift. And I pray that You would help us to know exactly how to use it. Lord, may, it, may, may as we understand this gift and begin to use it, may it remind us that it is precisely the ministry that You've called us to do in this world. It is precisely what You would have us do in this church. May we be filled, Lord, with a sense of obligation and a sense of, of, of opportunity as we utilize this gift and see Your Spirit working in and through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.